All right, dude. You ready to do this? Ready when you are. Welcome to the garage, man. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah? Yeah. I, I have a lot of love for stuff that happens in the garage. Yeah? Yeah. Look, you do a lot in the garage? Well, that's that's where Happy Matt started. Is it? Yeah. We, we started off and rolling in the garage. So. Oh, so what? All right. What I see Happy Matt's. I've asked you about it, but I haven't talked to you about it in probably a year. So what is Happy Matt's? All right. So, um, gosh, I, I think we started in 20, might have been 2019. Maybe 2020. Okay. Um, so my buddy Happy, uh, Coach Happy at the grounds, um, he was going through a, like a falling out with the gym that he was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the time, he, uh, it was coming up to my son's birthday. He's like, oh, I can't afford to get your son anything for, for his birthday. It's like, like, I feel bad. I'm like, don't worry about it. Why don't you just give him like three free jujitsu lessons? Because at the time, he was, he was a purple belt. And he was like, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I bought some puzzle mats. And uh, his first like private lesson was in our living room. We we pushed everything to the side, laid out the puzzle mats. We did you know some some jujitsu in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it just like started being this weekly occurrence. Like he'd come over to my parents' house for dinner, and we'd put out the puzzle mats and do jujitsu in the garage. Um, <laughs> and cool. then uh, with one of the stimulus packages, um, I was like, well, we're getting all this free money. Um, so I bought like a, I think they're 10 by 10 wrestling mats, like rollout mats, like really nice. Okay. And then it just kept progressing from there. And we did that for about a six months solid before we uh, both ended up at the grounds. So was that your first time doing jujitsu? Uh, other than some ground combative stuff in the military. Yeah. That was my first time doing like legit, you know, in the pajamas jujitsu. That's cool. The first time I did jujitsu, I was, uh, I was probably 20, yeah, 20 or 21 at uh, a place in New York at an MMA gym. And I was rolling against like a really small, like 16 year old girl. And she choked me out. Like I didn't go unconscious, but like choked me until I tapped. And then a bunch of really small people all like made me tap really fast. And I was, I was like, I, I, at the time I was ashamed. And then now I'm like, Oh, all right. I get it. I totally understand that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how everybody starts. It's all it's all different for everybody else. I probably started because of listening to Joe Rogan and just being like, "All right, let me go finally do this." But like, so how old were you when you first started doing it? Um. So for Happy Mats, it was like, what year are we in? So like 30, 32, 33. Okay. Um, when I did it in the military, that was oh gosh, that was probably. Let's see. We so. So we had a guy go to the Gracie Combatives instructor course and then come back. Mm-hmm. And then all the trainers got together and like trained together for like a week. So we all knew what, what to teach. Yep. And then we we went through and taught probably 200 people um, this like eight to 10 hour course in, in ground combatives over like two weeks. Okay. It was exhausting. We were doing 16 hour days, nothing but grappling. And then the first week we were all dumb. Like we'd send the students on break and then we would grapple with each other for like the 20 minutes they're on break. So that after the first week, we're like, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, we're shot. Yeah, we're, we're shot. Uh, so, oh gosh, when was that? Was probably like 2010, maybe. Okay. Maybe 2012, somewhere around there. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun. 
Um, we actually had some black belt. I can't remember who it was. He came down and kind of helped us uh, like refine our teaching methods because we wanted to like really amp up our program, make it better than everyone else's. And um, that was pretty cool because like he spent about a week with us. And afterwards, he's like, yeah, if you want to come to my gym. And it was like an hour and a half away. He's like, you know, you train under me for a couple of months. He's like, I'd, I'd give you all blue belts at that point. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not driving 90 minutes to do jujitsu. I'm getting paid to do it here. So, yeah, I'll stay um, here. But quick interruption. The China on podcast is looking for sponsors. So if you are a business that, you know, would like to sponsor the show, please reach out. Our contact info is in the show notes below. Talk to you soon. What, so, dude, when you're in the, when you're in the military and like these kind of things come up, like where you're doing these kind of trainings, like how does that come about? Like, why does it come about? What is the purpose? Like, yeah, like where, where's the the they come from a directive? I assume like somebody is like you're gonna do this, like go get it done. Like, how or, or how does that come about? Yeah, it, it all depends. There's a lot of the good old boy system that happens too. You know, like you know, so-and-so is good with the, the, you know, senior master sergeant or the captain who's in charge of picking the person. So mm-hmm. he gets to go to the school. Um, a lot of the schools I went to is cause I, I was in the training like division of our units and stuff. Okay. So obviously, you know, when an instructor class would come down, like, um, you know, like I, I went to the CHP Academy and did the field sobriety instructor okay. course. Um, that was because I had to come back and teach all the cops how to be you know, certified to do field sobriety tests okay. or the non-lethal instructor course. So I went to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri for two weeks and just learned nothing but non-lethal weapons so that I could then in turn come back and, and teach, you know, guys how to shoot beanbag rounds and tasers and hit people with batons and stuff like that. Okay. So, so you- it, it all depends on your position. Like not everyone gets to go to all these schools. You kind of have to like work your way into like certain spots so what branch, what part of the military were you in? I was in the Air Force. You're in the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. So how, so how did you get all these the opportunities to do this stuff? Like if you would go learn non-lethal weapons and like go learn jujitsu and then come teach people like ground combatives, like how do you, what did you do to actually get to that path? Um, you know, it's a lot like being in the civilian world. Like, so a job would open up in like our training department. And I mean, you had to put in a two page military resume, they would interview people. Um, so, you know, it it wasn't just like a natural progression or anything like that. Um, you had to go find it, you had to go find it, or you had to, you had to put out the effort to get in there. Um, like one of the jobs I did was, um, I was the confinement liaison. So like people that were going to jail in the, in the military, Okay. we didn't have a jail at our base. So I was in charge of getting them to their jail. Um, so to do that, I had to go through a four weeks corrections academy that was put on by the Navy. So because I applied for that position, then I got to go to that school and, and you know. So these were these were military, like service members who were going to jail? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they got arrested, you know, they go through court martial. And then, you know, depending on the crime, they either, you know, get busted down rank or um, get kicked out completely or they serve, you know, time in, in, in a military prison. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So you had to transport those guys. Yeah, to transport a couple of them. Usually we uh, we made it up to the unit um, to transport them, but it, you know, if we had like a high profile or like an escape, um, like a someone who we think will try to run, mm-hmm. then one of the MPs would go with them. Okay. What is that? Is there any of the like 
I don't know. Is that normally like a calm, smooth process or is? Uh, yeah, for the most part. The nice part about dealing with like criminals in the military, which sounds weird, um, is <laughs> is at least they have some form of discipline already instilled in them because they all made it through boot camp. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the guys, it's just something they, they messed up, you know. Really? Yeah. They got drunk and made a mistake and uh, okay. they, they had to pay the price because... Weren't you like a, weren't you a military police officer? Yeah. So I worked, uh, air force It's called security forces, but yeah, that we're the military police branch of the air force. And what do you, what do you do as a military police officer? Uh, again, it's a lot of, a lot of what the civilian cops do. It's just on a smaller scale. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we did everything from check ID cards at the gates to drive around the flight line and secure, you know, our essentially the airport part of the base. Okay. Um, and then we had law enforcement patrols that drove around and, and, you know, we did traffic stops. We, we responded to domestics and 911 calls. We, you know, the base had its own 911 system. What happens on a base? Like what, <laughs> what kind of shit do you see as you're going through? Like, um, I mean, just about everything. I mean, we've had drunk drivers. Um, I, I've gone to plenty of domestics. Like I've had a knife thrown at me by an angry wife. Um, Oh yeah, you were telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, I pulled up to a, a domestic call, and um, I actually they gave me the wrong address, so I pulled up right in front of the house. Which normally we pull, you know, we we stop a house or two down the road and walk up instead of pull the cop car right up in front. Sure. But uh, dispatch gave me the wrong address. I pulled up right in front of the house, and I see a dude run out of the front. I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. And I go to get out of my car, and I turn, I see a knife coming flying out, and it sticks in, in like right by my passenger side drive or tire <laughs> and i just jumped back in the car and i was like hey i need another <laughs> another patrol preferably one with a female on on duty because she probably wants to talk to a chick yeah um you mean you wouldn't be the first person that 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 woman that just threw a knife at you would no, want to talk it's not gonna be me no 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 that's not gonna be Did you go to a two-week course on how to talk to uh wives that throw knives no i wish i had because <laughs> you know it'd probably be handy now <laughs> In that moment, at least. Yeah. I mean, all right. So you're dealing with like a bunch of, a bunch of stuff that cops are dealing with just in a smaller setting. That's was it primarily limited to the base itself? Yeah. I mean, we didn't have any jurisdiction off base. I mean, occasionally like there was some guy that was just driving, like he was obviously drunk, like he was all over the road and we do an off base patrol where we just like check our own perimeter um, but I was like, we can't let this guy drive it. So we, you know, turned our lights on, pulled him over, um, essentially initiated the traffic stop and pretty much got his keys and his driver's license, registration, all that stuff. Okay. And then we just sat behind him until County pulled up and we're like, here you go. Hand off. Yeah. Okay. He's, he, you can smell it from, you know, here he's drunk. And then because you don't have a jail to bring them and we don't have arrest authority off base. Oh, okay. So this was so really so, that. So really, that was like a citizen's arrest. Okay. Um, so so they're kind of passing by where you guys are patrolling. Yeah, we just happened to be off base. He's all over the road. Okay. And just you know, so we called dispatch, had them call county, and we we pulled them over just because okay. you know he's heading into town. Like the last thing I want to do is get back to base and then read a news story about this drunk guy who like you know drove through a person's house or something. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's the only time I've you know, done anything really off base. Okay. Um, well, and so how long were you, uh, how long were you in the military for? I did it for 10 years. Damn dude. Yeah. Okay. When did you go in? Uh, I went in 2007 and got out in 2017. 
how how old were you when you went in? Um, eighteen. I turned nineteen when I graduated boot camp. Damn. Okay. So, are, is your family military too? Uh, my dad was in the Air Force when I was a baby, but he only he did four years and then got out. Um, okay. I was I was born on an Air Force base, but uh, after that, you know, he I, I've never known him to be in the military or anything. Okay. It was. It's not like you have like a long. Yeah, family. I'm not like a military brat. Okay. I mean, my my family history, like, uh, it, I mean, we have people in my family line that go all the way back to like the Civil War. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not like. I was a military brat moving around every two months or whatever. Gotcha. Uh, just side story. My buddy, Matt, his, uh, his dad is like big into like the lineage stuff and like figure out the, you know, genealogy and like trace your ancestors back and stuff. And his dad was like, yeah, I had this dream one time where I was in the civil war and like basically like my head got blown off by a cannon or something like that. And then, over time, as he learned more, he found out that he had like a great, 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 great grandpa or whatever it is who was in like that particular battle and like sustained whatever injury that he had a dream about. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had that, but. Um. <laughs> so that's not why you joined the military? No, no. <laughs> um, My great, great grandfather got shot in the shoulder. So I joined the Air Force. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of joined the military on a whim. Really? Um, yeah, I tried out college. You know, I did a semester of college, and it was just like, this isn't for me. No? Um, Where did you go? Uh, it, well, it was Edison back then, but I went to Edison. Are you from down here? Uh, not originally. I moved down here in 2004. That was my uh, between my sophomore and junior year of college, or high school. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Rhode Island. Oh, right. That's okay. Yeah. We were talking about that a while ago. And yeah. then you go, do you go back there every once in a while? Um, no, we actually, so this summer we went back for the first time for me, it was, uh, I think 17 years for my parents. So it was like 20. Holy shit. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was, it was different. Like yeah. it, it's changed a lot, but at the same time it hasn't. Yeah. Um, that, that's the weird part. I grew up on long Island and it feels like very much that same way. You've got a lot of things change. People's lives go in different directions, but then. A lot of people that stayed there that never left, like they're still kind of on that same path. Yeah. In a way. I don't know. It's odd. I'm glad I got out though. Like I, I was always, I'm always thankful that it, right after high school, I moved down here and then got to live here, lived in Orlando for a little bit, kind of drove around the whole country, did a road trip, all that kind of stuff. I've done some traveling and things like that. So like, I'm glad I got out of it. Um, when I did like, I, I think I would have been fucking miserable if I stayed. Yeah, for sure. Especially in the Northeast. Yeah. Like, like I caught up with a buddy that I went to high school with and, um, he's, he's actually done really well for himself. He's like a, like a food and wine manager at like a really swanky hotel that's like all over the country. So he's, he's like got options now. Hmm, okay. Um, but yeah, I caught up with him and I was, you know, we're just talking about people and yeah, it just seems like if you don't leave, you, you you get stuck in these you know ruts Do, yeah and uh yeah no i'm I'm glad we got out too because i don't know where i would have ended up no i don't know and like i'm very prone to falling into ruts so like it just i don't know it would have been would have been not good so why did why did you join um yeah so like i said i tried out college and it wasn't for me um and i, I knew i had to do some 
you know, like you can't just sit there. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't just going to like freeload off my parents. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, I always had in my mind, you know, coming out of high school is, you know, go to college or, or go to the military. Yep. Um, so yeah, after I realized college wasn't working out for me and, you know, um, I wasn't talented enough to make it as a musician. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I'll just, I'll join the military. So I you know, started researching it and yeah. decided, you know, air force was probably the way to go. Okay. And, uh, that's, that's how I got there. All right. Nice. And then you end up staying in there for 10 years. Do you play music? I, I used, I haven't touched the guitar in probably 15 years at this point. Really? Yeah. I used to. I went in there. You want to jam? I, I don't know if I could jam at this point. <laughs> Put a little smoke on the I, water. I think the last time I played guitar, I think I think I was deployed in Kuwait, and like, there's like three of us that played, and we all played for a little bit. And I, I don't think I've played since. Really? Kuwait was like 2009. Dude, what was it like being deployed over there? Uh, it's different. So I had I had three deployments. My first one was to Iraq. Um, then I went to Kuwait and Kyrgyzstan, which are more. Um, can't think permissive environments okay because you know like kuwait wants us there um because then their military doesn't have to do anything okay (laughs) (laughs) my personal opinion um but it was funny like being being such a young guy going because i went i got to my my home station so I, i was stationed at travis in california uh i got there in like i think it was end of august of 2007 and I was leaving for Iraq in January of 2008. So like, okay, I was pretty few months, pretty new. Yep. And, and two of those months were spent in Washington state training for um, our trip. So like, really, I, I didn't even know how to do my job back home, but okay. I was, I was deploying to, to Iraq. Um, did that tour came back and I was in the, um, like the truck carrying all the bags with our, our um, unit deployment manager. And he was like, oh, how's your deployment? I was like, it's good. Um, he's like, you ready to deploy again? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want to go next month? Or not? it wasn't that quick turnaround. He's like, I can get you out the door in a couple months. So I got back and I think I, would, I was here for a month, went away for training for a couple of weeks, was back for another month. And then I was in Kuwait uh, for another deployment. And um, it was just funny, like going from Iraq where like there's a real threat, like we're getting rocket attacks and um, I was dealing with uh, detainees, so, you know, dudes that we picked up, you know, like, um, in my compound, we had, like, Saddam's cousin and stuff like that, like. Um, high target people. Yeah, some high target people, like, uh, Chemical Ali was in the compound when I was there, like, some, some like, bad dudes. Um, and then I go to Kuwait, and these guys are acting like we're on the front lines, and, like, they're trying to make us wear, like our full kit 24 seven. And I'm like, Whoa, pump, pump your brakes guys. I was just there. I was like, this is Kuwait. It's like the last time someone got shot here, I was like two service members messing around or something like that. So really, yeah, it was just, it was weird. I, Cause I had this, you know, like right off the bat, I had this mentality of like being somewhere where, you know, like literally I could just get blown up one day. Cause you, you might not ever hear the rocket coming. And then, you know, I'm in this like 51st state, yeah. It's just desert. Yeah. So what's that? What is that feeling like just being out there in a spot, like basically in a war zone where you kind of could get shot or blown up kind of at any time? Yeah. You know, I, so there was one day, it was like one of my days off, which were far and in between, but I remember coming out of the tent 
and like like in my mind i just like you know like remember google earth like it just pictured me like zooming out for me on google earth and like being like you know in iraq and i'm like like how did i get here <laughs> <laughs> like what led to this um but luckily, like, you know, I, I had a pretty strong faith and I knew that if something were going to happen to me, I knew where I was going. Yeah. I, I knew what my end was going to be. Um, it was just, you know, whatever his timing was going to be. I, I was hoping I wasn't going to get blown up in Iraq, but, you know, if that if that's what was in the books, then. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I never really had a, a bad thought about it. Like I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a superhero complex either where I was like, oh, I can't die. Sure. It's like, no, I knew it was real, but, you know can be at peace with it yeah like i'm not not worried about dying necessarily at the time i was single okay you know like you know my parents would be upset but they'd get a nice life insurance check (laughs) for me. Um, yeah it's funny that that's how you think at that time and then when you have kids it's like yeah yeah now it's like oh man that's way different yeah no like just the other morning i was driving home from work and there was a that fatal wreck on 75 i was like man like what if that was like me like like that's it lights out well dude we're here on we're out here on this road like coming out through all these like back roads and stuff and there's big curves like there's a decent amount of there's been people in this neighborhood that have died just like head-on collision like right there it's fucking that's it yeah dude it's yeah i think about that stuff all the time now you know what i think about too like and now that i have a, a kid is like you have these, I have these crazy thoughts in my head of like, what if somebody just attacks me right now? And I'm going to like, what you would have to do to like fight a person. Like if somebody were like come after my daughter or my wife or something, like I was like, I would have to, you'd have to fucking kill them or like close yeah. at least. Like now that I'm a dad, like I think through all of those things all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, and it'll just, it's kind of funny. It'll come up at random times too. Like I'll just be, sometimes I'll just be standing there like, or you'll be in the shower or you'll like be in the middle of doing something and I'll just like kind of freeze for maybe like 20 seconds. And then I'm like, shit. All right. Just, just act cool. Just act normal. Like don't, don't act like you are just thinking of like what you might have to do if you had to like rip somebody's throat out or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, for sure. I've, I've had those thoughts too. Um, and then, uh, have you read the, the book, the terminalist? No. Okay. So, um, it's a great book by Jack Carr about this, uh, Navy SEAL whose family gets killed in like this conspiracy. Okay. And he goes nuts and starts like murking people. Okay. And, um, my kids like watch the preview for it cause they, you know, I have all the books and then I had, I've watched the, it's a, now it's an Amazon prime series. Is that, uh, that with the guy from The Office? Yeah. Uh, no, not uh, The Office. Uh, that one's uh, Jack Ryan. This okay. one's got Chris Pratt in it. Okay. Um, got it. But uh, I think they ended up like watching the trailer for it because you know they're like, oh, dad likes this show or whatever. And my son's like, what? What was that? I'm like, that's just what dad would do if someone hurt one of y'all. <laughs> like I would like if someone, well, maybe not hurt. I, I don't think I would straight murder like tens tens of hundreds of people but like you know if like my daughter got kidnapped or something or you know like one of my kids got killed and like i i don't know if i'd be able to hold hold back man i'd I'd lose it uh yeah dude and that's why i think now now i realize like why taken is so popular that's like 50 shades of gray for dads dude. (laughs) that's like 
that's like for women when they watch 50 shades of gray and like this is what i would imagine is what happened taken is for dads yeah what that is like if somebody took my daughter i would fucking i don't know how but i'd suddenly learn how to hack into people's phones and shit yeah, track them down sure. yeah and i'd suddenly I would just get- magically have like four different passports so yeah. i could like get into different countries and i'd know how to hotwire cars i'd have access sure. to grenades i'd fucking i'd do all of it dude absolutely <laughs> i don't know how but that's it i know that i'm if i if somebody ties me up to a pipe or something i'm fucking breaking out dude i'm gonna shock their nutsack <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> With a car battery. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. I don't know. Like, you you know what I'm talking about. Though. Like, you get that feeling of, like, fucking pure rage. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, when dad's mad that you, like, threw something behind this cabinet, that's where I'm at right now. She's, she's two, almost two. So, yeah. she's just, oh, I like, you know, here's my toothbrush. Let me throw it behind this cabinet so you can't reach it or it's very difficult. And like do dangerous shit like that. Yeah. It's like when dad gets pissed at that, let him be pissed at that. Because on the flip side of that is like, it's like pure love that could be turned into like pure rage and fury. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I get that. Which I guess actually kind of goes into better protectors. Like I think about these things just as if I was in these situations of like, all right, well I try to read the room sometimes and see like, if there's danger around and like, okay, do I have to move them along? If I'm by myself, it's a lot different than if my family's there. Right. So what is, so can we go into like, what is better protectors? And then, yeah. What do you guys teach people in different scenarios? Like how, how does it work? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Better Protectors is a company that uh, my business partner Alan and I started. Um, I think it was last year. I'm so bad with dates. It's all right. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but we've uh, we have a very similar background. He was an Army MP. Um, our timelines don't really match up because he is, you know, he is as old as my dad. But um, you know, like he was an Army MP, and then he's done a lot of law enforcement work and stuff like that. Um, me being Air Force, Security Forces, also, you know, brand, like a police force. Um, when I got out, though, I took a different route, started down the medical field, went to EMT school, now I'm a, an RN. Um, but we both have a very security-focused mindset. Okay. Um, so for a long time, I mean, I, I got linked up with him in 2017 when we first moved down here, uh, doing some church security stuff. Um and then we started, or he had already started, I, I started helping out with uh, doing like trainings. And we um, we have, a, it's called the Safe Church Consortium down here in Southwest Florida. Excuse me. And uh, at the time we were doing monthly trainings for free. We'd, we'd meet somewhere, give an hour of training and, you know, have donuts and coffee, talk, intermingle. And that was for any church, any house of worship. We didn't care what your faith or religion was. We just want your people to be protected. And so what goes into those seminars? Um, well, honestly, we, we kind of do it, um, you know, by request. So usually our January meeting is a planning meeting. So we, we throw a bunch of topics up on the board and then we vote on them. Um, you know, some of the recurring ones are like situational awareness, um, verbal de-escalation, um, physical security. Uh, active shooter has been one that's been brought up a couple of times. Stop the bleed training. Okay. Um, 
you know, sometimes they want like policies and procedures, which is super boring <laughs> and usually get swapped out for something else before the training actually happens. But, okay. um, you, you know, um, so this is just a hand, the, it's not just active shooter situations. This is, this is like security de-escalation. These are a bunch of different factors of securing, uh, a location, making sure that people are protected. Like it's not just one facet of it. Yeah, no, it's not like we just train. Like, oh, what happens if a guy comes in with a gun? Okay. Uh, like for churches, you know, we put we do scenarios with you know someone just disrupting your service. You know, like um, like some of these people you see on uh like on Instagram or something. Where yeah, somebody where they, comes in and is like, uh, it's like a political like yeah, usually career. political agenda or you know, okay. and there's there's been some really intricate ones where they actually like um like hijack the microphones and stuff like that. Like they you know they like tap into the frequency so they can take over the microphone frequency and stuff. And really? Yeah. So, you know, and we talk about like worst case scenario, what happened, or even if they just grab a mic, Yeah. you know, like, you know, you have to have communication with your audio engineers to, to shut down, um, you know, their mic and start playing music or something like that. Dim the house lights so they don't see what happens and get the guy, you know, out. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, and we also talk about like what happens when you have to evacuate your building with kids. You know, the fire alarm goes off. What do you need to do with your children? Yeah. What do you need to do with adults? Because honestly, evacuating adults is harder than evacuating kids. Yeah. Um, people don't want to listen. They want to go like, yeah. So in that case, like what, what's like something that would happen? Like why, why are adults harder to evacuate than kids? Because uh, adults know stuff and they think they know, <laughs> they know the right stuff. Okay. And, and we talk about it too. So like we, we categorize, you know, three people to watch out for when you're evacuating and so you know, like the frozen sheep, like the person that's just, you know, in, in fight and flight, they, they, they're fight, just flight freeze. They just froze. They, they don't know what to do. Okay. Um, then you have the, like the panic gazelle, we call them the person that's just like losing their mind, running out around the chicken with their head cut off. And then you have the, uh, I, I forgot what he called them, like the misguided hero or the, the hero. And you know, your job with him is just make sure that person's doing the right thing and then just let him keep going. Yeah. Um, or if he's not doing the right thing, then redirect them. And try to help them, you know, have you do the right thing. Okay. But, you know, and and then, of course, we were just talking about it. Like, if a fire alarm goes off and your kid's across a building, what are you going to do as a dad? Run there. Yeah. Yep. So, we talk about that, too. Because, um, and, and we kind of use the situation, like, you know, if, if a dad comes and grabs their kid and disappears, um, and now you evacuate all the kids out and do your accountability, and you're like, oh, no, I'm missing a kid. Someone like me... Like, I'm not going to leave that building until the kid's found. Yep. Or, or until the firefighters drag me out. Yep. So, like, now you're putting me at risk because I'm going to try to find your kid who's at, you know, the McDonald's drive-thru eating chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, so, that that's another reason. It's, okay. Because it's see. not even just like, oh, we want to make sure everyone gets out safely. It's like, if we don't know your kid isn't safe, like, I'm going to, now I'm going to be in there until I pass out from smoke inhalation trying to find your, your darn kid. And Yeah. And like I said, you, you, you snagged them in the chaos and now we don't know. Okay. So how, damn. All right. So what a, what a, like a, a church, let's say like one of the ones that's here in Estero or Fort Myers, like if you've got a decent sized service room and then you've got the, the kind of daycare section where if you go into the service, they have kids in that section. Like what are some of the things that they typically have in place or is it common for them to not have anything in place what do you see um 
I mean, for the most part, a lot of churches take the the safety of children pretty seriously at this point. Um, I don't think I've been to a church, and, and I've been to a handful um, in the in the local area, and, and typically they all have some sort of accountability system. So, like, you know, you pick up your kid and you have to scan a barcode or you have to exchange like a sticker or something like that uh, to get your kid back. Yep. Um, and then usually they're they're secured somehow. Like it's not just like open for anyone to to mosey down. Sure. Um, a lot of places will be like, if you don't have like the little like parent sticker, then you're not coming in the back, which I, I approve. Yeah. I think that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I haven't seen anything not in place necessarily. Um, is it more just like, Hey, we don't know what to do on the next level. Like that's that next level of detail. Like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know how to make sure that we have the kids accounted for, but if there's a fire, and there's like all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So like, actually, we were just at a church up in Venice, and we helped them uh, kind of formulate their evacuation plan. Okay. Um, because they were like, yeah, just go to the nearest exit, which works for you know most situations. But like when you have a you know classrooms full of kids, and like you're trying to evacuate, you know, in an organized fashion, just running near the for the nearest door isn't going to work. Yeah. Um. So you know, we kind of brought up some points like you know if you're evacuating kids you want to evacuate them you know in an orderly fashion chances are they're learning this stuff in school already so just build off of that okay and then evacuate them all to the same spot that way the parents only have to go to one spot to get their kid okay and it just limits some of the panic and you know freaking out parents running around trying to find all their kids yeah if all the kids go to the same spot it's easier to account for everybody it's like less likely that you'd be like oh my god my kid's missing but they're just in they're just on the other side of the building type thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So tr- trying to get them all in the same place. Um, I would say one of the biggest concerns um, outside of like, you know, losing a kid in a situation like that would be um, like parental disputes. So like, you know, parents are going through a divorce, but, you know, the mom knows that dad brings his kid to, to church every Sunday or vice versa, whatever the case may be. So then, you know, if you have a four-year-old kid and, and dad walks in, the kids can be like, "Oh, Dad," yeah, and you know, it's being firm on that account accountability process of being like, "No, you don't have the the sticker to pick up the kid." So, you know, yep, and, and you know, like church safety and security teams aren't there to interpret, you know, the law and you know, be like, "Oh, you know, we we are enforcing this restraining order," but more so to de-escalate the situation until we can get you know a law enforcement officer in there to to do what they need to do yeah to take so, care of their business so like how how often do things like this happen um i don't have the stats off the top of my head but often enough that you know there are now churches out there willing to pay for for trainers like alan and i to come in and help their teams you know get organized and, and okay um, stay up to date on you know on some of those uh perishable skills like verbal de-escalation and stuff like that okay got it how did you so do you did you take stuff that you learned from your time in the military and leading up to this like is that part of what led you to this like how did you guys end up starting this uh yeah so i, I think you know alan's background and then he had he had been doing church security stuff for for a couple of years before i met him uh, probably like five or 10 years at that point. So he had a lot of experience in that. And then he already had kind of started changing his mindset from like a military or police 
outlook on security to like how security should work in a church. Okay. Um, cause it's a different mindset. Um, but yeah, a lot of our experiences and a lot of things we used to teach, we do still teach. Um, you know, we don't teach everything we used to know, like, you know, church security teams don't need to necessarily know how to do a field sobriety test, but they probably should know how to do CPR. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of parenteral tailor all the things that are in our head and, and, you know, make it work for, um, church and safety. Okay. How did you, how did you get into this? Um, yeah. So when I got out of the military, moved down here in 2017, um, we started going to the church that Alan was part of. Um, and my mom knew that he was the head of like the security team there. So she introduced me at that particular, at that church. particular church. Okay. Um, so yeah, she introduced us and, um, you know, I started shadowing the team not too long after that. I was, you know, serving on that, that safety team. Um, and, uh, that was a pretty large multi-campus church that we were both at. Um, and then, you know, we were, we were doing those monthly trainings and at one point, you know, like actually early on, we went to a conference and we were talking about, um, some firearm simulators. So like projection screen, laser ammo, stuff like that. And how, you know, there's business models out there of like setting up, like, like just some space people can come in and either, you know, just target practice and, you know in a non actual live range situation or you get like zombie mode and, yeah. and you know, have it for like bachelor or bachelorette parties. They just come in with, you know, some booze and, you know, kill zombies, you know, and like, so it's like, but you know, full size, sure. You know, screens and stuff. Um, so he had like mentioned that and I was like, Oh yeah, you could use that for a lot of like training applications too. So that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, um, I think we got done doing a, um, one of our classes and he's like, you know, I think, I think there's something here. Like we might not make a ton of money doing it, but I think we can, we can make a little money doing it. Um, especially when you take into account, like if we, we, we don't just do it for churches. Like we do this for, you know, individuals, you know, businesses, businesses, um, you know, whoever wants the training, we'll, we'll do the training for, um, so the, the church is just our passion. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll teach whoever wants to pay us to teach them. Yeah. Um, so you when know. you, when you guys are working with like businesses, what does that look like? Like how, what are, what are the businesses typically looking for? What's the, what are you guys teaching them? And then why are they looking? What's the benefit that the businesses get from it? Um, I know that some, uh, some insurance companies from businesses will give you like a, a, a break on your, um, you know, your premium. Okay. Um, like let's say if you have such a percentage of your employees trained in CPR or stop the bleed, or you're, you've done like an active shooter training in the last 12 months, then, you know, your premiums might be lower or something like that. Um, but honestly, even with like some of the, the other skills we teach, like situational awareness, like I don't use situational awareness just when I'm at work. I, I use it. You use it all the time. You, yeah. t- you mentioned it earlier. You go into a place and you kind of try to read the room. <laughs> yeah. That's called situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we might go into a business and teach situational awareness kind of in the business business context, but that's stuff you can use on the outside too. Same sure. for stop the bleed. Like, um, I know stop the bleed has been like associated with like active shooter for a long time because that's just what it got associated with. But that's what I think of. Yeah. But honestly, like, um, you know, I, and I, I read all these reports all the time, you know, some guy dropped a plate and like on this dishwasher came up and cut 
his arm open and he had to use a tourniquet to stop the bleeding or else he probably would have bled out and died because he, I believe he was by himself if I remember correctly. Um, Southwest Florida boat propeller accidents. Yeah. Um, diving accident. You know, th- there's tons of stuff that can go wrong that would require the skills you would learn and stop the bleed. It's just, the, you know, like for some reason, everyone associates it with active shooter and they're like, oh, well, you know, active shooter will never happen here. And it's like, well, you don't know that. So sure. get the training. Yeah. Um, well, that, I wouldn't, I always associated it with that. Yeah. I always just was like, oh, let's stop the bleed or active shooter. Like I, I, I assumed that they were two, uh, the same thing of just people called it two different things. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're different for sure. And so and what we, go- we do a lot of stop the bleed training separate from active shooter training too. And what goes into stop the bleed? Um, it's just knowing how to stop life threatening hemorrhaging. So, you know, how, how to, um, correctly apply a tourniquet, uh, when to apply a tourniquet. Um, and then if you can't apply a tourniquet, other things you can do to, to stop the bleed, like wound packing or, or direct pressure and stuff like that. What's like the core of what's like the core concept that actually stops bleeding in most cases? Um, I guess the, the simplest way is, is compression. So, okay. So like if you're using a tourniquet, what you're doing is you're compressing the artery against the bone and that's stopping the bleed uh, from the wound further down the the limb. So it's Um, like, it's restricting the amount of blood that can actually make it through that. Yeah. And if you do it correctly, you're, you're just turning off the blood. You know, like if I put a tourniquet on my arm, there's no, there should be no blood or very little blood flowing through it. Um, but then like wounds that you can't put a tourniquet into it's you're again, you're trying to compress um, the source of bleeding against the bone. And that's by, um, you know, either direct pressure or packing the wound with gauze. Okay. Got it. And so if you, I guess, yeah, then, so if you're cutting off that blood flow to that, let's say your arm, you cut your arm down here, put a tourniquet on, you're cutting off that blood flow. I guess it's, yeah, you have two things. It would shut off the blood flow to that hand. So you might have like a little damage from that, but you're also going to save your life, which is the, the main priority. Yeah. So does it like, if you have to do that and you put a tourniquet on, you stop the bleeding like longer term, does it mess with any of your functions of that limb? Um, it can. So we talk about this all the time. So when I joined the military in 2007, they, they taught tourniquet was your last resort. If you put a tourniquet on a limb, the person's going to lose it. Okay. Um, Fast forward to now, um, I think the the window is about 110 minutes uh, before there's any any other damage to the limb um, caused by the tourniquet. So you have a little under two hours to like basically keep it in a tourniquet, get them to medical yeah. assistance before that tourniquet actually starts to become a problem. Yeah. Okay. And, and I mean- in Lee County, Florida, you're getting to a, a trauma center within two hours. That's that's yep. probably pretty easy to do. Um, where that becomes an issue is, you know, if you're out in the Everglades somewhere, then you're you're going to be pushing that time limit. But even still, I mean, there's a, and there's a chart. I'm trying to picture it in my mind, but I know it's 111 minutes is that that first uh, point where where injury can start happening. Um, but it's like four hours until you start having like irreversible damage. So oh, you, okay. you got some time and okay. you know, I rather have a weird twitch in my finger and be alive and then be alive than, yeah. than not. Yeah. Agreed. 
Well, and do, if you're in that in that situation, like if that tourniquet breaks or you take that off, let's say after like an hour, you just is it just going to be like <laughs> blood flow is just coming right back, like um, you'd probably start bleeding out again. Yeah, in, in theory, I've I've never okay. tried it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> good. Um, yeah, but you know, we also train that you know, unless unless you're an advanced medical provider, you don't remove tourniquets that once you put them on. Okay. Um, just because you don't want to start the blood flow again. And, um, and then also after a certain time, there's, um, you know, like, like bacteria can start building up in, in the, the part that's been cut off. And, um, mm, okay. once that cycles back through, you can get really ill. So a lot of times they'll, they'll load you up with antibiotics before um, they release it, re- before they release it to kind okay. of fight that off beforehand. So like put that, the antibiotics in. So that way when your body does its thing, yeah. you, you at least have, well, that's, that. that's like way, way further down the the path. Okay. That's like above my pay grade. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, okay. So that's the, that's the stop the bleed side. Actually, one other question on that. If you yeah. had, this is going to, I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot, but so with a tourniquet, yeah. like is, do you, are there like, you can buy an actual tourniquet that's dedicated to that. And then also if you don't have whatever the recommended tourniquet is, like what would you use? Yeah. So, um, or something. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can make, um, makeshift tourniquets like like that's what we did in the military when we first started because they they were like tourniquets are bad so they didn't even issue us tourniquets they taught us how to make them um but there's um there's a handful of uh recommended tourniquets on the market uh the committee for tactical combat casualty care does the recommendations and it's just based off of um you know their use in the field um, and then they do a bunch of testing on these tourniquets too, to make sure they're, you know, they're top of the line. They're made with the correct materials. Okay. Um, don't just go to Amazon and buy the 20 pack for 1999. Cause those are all fake and they will break on you and nothing's worse than a broken tourniquet when, when your life's at risk. <laughs> oh, I can't return this right now. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so like, like occasionally we'll buy like a tourniquet that's not recommended but we only use it in training because we know it's going to get a lot of repetition in training. Got it. And then it, we can tell if it's going to fail or not. So, gotcha. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're carrying a tourniquet or two dedicated to saving lives, make sure you buy buy a legit one. And then what goes into so like when you I want to ask you about the active shooter stuff for mm-hmm. sure. But when you meet with when you meet with a let's say a church or a business. What's the process like of going in, figuring out what they have in place, where you recommend, like, how do you guys run that process? Yeah, sure. So typically, um, you know, we offer to do a free assessment of, of the property. Um, so we'll come in and we'll walk through with a, a facility manager or security manager, whatever the case may be. Um, Alan has a bunch of cert- certifications of, um, like, he took, like, like, crazy college classes to, to learn the stuff he, he has to know. Um, but you know, like, um, like bush height and, and tree height and stuff. We'll, we'll look at all that stuff and, and window film and where your fire alarm control panel is. And, you know, if, if it's a church and we're talking about kids, like how the kids sit area is set up and recommendations for that. And, um, and a lot of times they're just pointing out stuff that concerns them. And then we talk through those, 
those points of concern, whatever they may be. Okay. Um, like one church had a, a, a door right by the stage. Uh, and they're like, oh, you know, we're always concerned that someone, you know, it's that short access right to the stage. And we looked and was like, well, it's not a fire exit. So just lock it. And they're like, oh, we never, we never really considered, you know, being able to lock this door. They it, thought they had to. Yeah. Well, because it had a fire exit sign over it, but it wasn't a lit sign. It wasn't part of the actual fire corridor. So we're like, yeah, you can lock this door. It's not part of the actual fire like escape plan. Oh, okay. So you're not actually you. You're in compliance with you're anything in compliance related to the fire department, like in yeah. terms of escape routes. Okay. Yeah. So we're just like, yeah, this isn't a legit like, or it's a legit fire exit, but it's not the part of the. It's called the fire corridor. It's like your direct access out the building. Okay. It's like it's not part of that. They just had a sign above it, be, so people knew it was an exit, more or less. Okay. So if it's dark or whatever, people can actually yeah. see something. All right. Yeah, so along those lines. Um, yeah. So usually we do that free assessment and, and walk around the building with them, talk about their concerns. Um, you know, like I have, I have some experience in physical security. So, um, you know, just how you, even how the parking lot set up and, and direct access, access to the front door, stuff like that. All, all these crazy things that no one else thinks about except Alan and I. Um, <laughs> and then we usually sit down and, and try to figure out where, where their team's at. Like if their team's brand new, then we suggest doing like, you know, like a couple multi-hour sessions to just get everyone spun up, everyone on the same page. Um, we also offer to help them write their policy and procedures. Um, and we, all, we try to do that before we do the training. That way we can train to their policies and procedures. So everybody's um, at least on the same page, like you can get a feel for it if you want to read it before you go do it. But then once you train it, it's like, we're going to train you to this. When we leave, you have the plan to fall back yeah. on. Like we're going to train you to your standards, not just to like whatever cookie cutter training we do. Sure. Um, yeah. We train you specifically to your location, to your policies and procedures. Um, and, and then, yeah, we usually sit down and try to figure out what, what training. So if they have a team established or like for a business who, who just needs to like hit certain training requirements. We, we sit down and figure out what training requirements they need. So whether that's, you know, CPR, stop the lead and active shooter, or if it's, you know, if they want to add like situational awareness or verbal de-escalation, you know, like if they have a front desk person, verbal de-escalation is probably really good for the front front desk people to know. Cause yeah, they're, they're the face of the company coming in. And you, you're going to see all different types of people walk in that are going through different situations and phases of life. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we, so we suggest, uh, classes, find out what they want to do. And then, you know, we go from there and set up training dates. Okay. And so what are, what are like the main, what are some of the main things that people reach out to you for? Like, why does this get on people's radar? I, I think a lot of the, just a lot of stuff going on in the news, man. Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm part of a bunch of like church security Facebook groups and, and a week doesn't go by without a handful of, you know, um, either actual crimes committed at a church or like thwarted crimes because, you know, of really, yeah. Like uh, what? Well, like threats, people showing up with guns, you know, like that's what catches everyone's eyes. Like, Oh no, what, what if a, an active shooter comes to our church? Yeah. And it's, it's a legit threat. You know, if you, if you've you know paid attention to the news in the last five years, sure. Um, and, and we, we do train that, but you know, there's so much more that can be trained before that. Um, like, like we like to train like body language and, and, um, you know, pretty much trying to see the problem before it gets there, you know? 
Okay. Um, Because we tell them all the time, like in the church situation, if you can stop the problem in the parking lot, then it never gets inside your building. Like you keep them outside, call the sheriff's deputy. He comes on and handles business or, you know, the cop or wherever your jurisdiction is. But you know, be able to handle those situations before they even get inside. It's it's the best thing. So, okay. Um, so like how so you, how do you teach somebody that or where where do you how do you start for them to like okay you've never thought about this before. What are the things that you like? How do you convey that to somebody who's never thought about somebody's body language in a security setting before? Um, that, I mean, that can be tricky. A lot of times when we're, when we're dealing with like church security, um, a lot of the guys have some sort of background in military or law enforcement or, you know, EMS or ER work, you know, they, they, they already have that mindset a little bit. Okay. Um, so now we're just, we're trying to convert it from, okay. Yeah. You were NYPD for 20 years, but now you're a volunteer safety officer at a church. Yep. So it's not quite the same. Sure. Um, so, you know, like, uh, like one of the things people bring up is like property damage. And it's like, yeah, we're not going to go hands on for property damage because, because I'm not going to, you know, risk getting an assault charge on me because this dude's kicking a hole in the drywall. Like, we'll just call the cops and let them handle business. That's what they're paid to do. Sure. And, and, you know, there's sometimes people are like, really? Like, you're not going to, like try to drag them out of the church for that. And it's like, no, cause like I said, it's like, like I'll come fix your drywall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not as a big a deal as, you know, possibly having an assault, um, like a personal lawsuit and then them suing the church too. Cause some dude assaulted them. Sure. Um, while they're kicking the drywall in. So, well, and also that kind of violence does lead to additional violence. It's, it is an escalation. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and that's why we harp on, de-escalation um you know and we never tell people to go hands-on when dealing with anyone but you know we will say like if you know you have the right to defend yourself and others so just keep that in mind when you're dealing with these people but for the most part um you know like we we just try to that we try to de-escalate and and move the situation yeah um but yeah going back to the how do you train people um like I said, a lot of them already have that mindset. Um, and then for the people that don't, the people that just, you know, are looking for a, a service in the, or a serve team in the church to, to work on. And they're like, oh, this one seems cool. Like, you know, they don't talk much and they can, they're kind of wallflowers or whatever. Um, usually they're pretty attentive and they just want to learn about it because something piqued their interest to join that team. Okay. And for the most part, um, you know, the, the team leaders or whatever, uh, you know, they should be vetting those people and, and deciding whether or not they're the good right, fit for yeah, the good fit. You know, if they're the chatty Cathy's who talk to everyone who comes in the door, they're they probably not going to be probably paying not, attention. Yeah. To probably not a great person to, to be watching everyone else. <laughs> you guys, this is our whole security plan. You guys, you guys, <laughs> if you wanted to rob us, you could probably just go right in through this right, door. Yeah. That's not even a fire door. <laughs> but so then what goes into what goes into the uh active shooter type training? Um yeah, I mean there's there's a whole bunch of of stuff, but um you know the the old model was the whole run, hide, fight, 
Yeah. Um, and a lot of people have heard that. Um, we're actually trying to kind of move away from, from run, hide, fight. Cause it kind of just sounds like steps like, Oh, run, if you can run, hide, if you can hide. And then last resort fight. I was like, no, if, you know, if a shooter kicks in that door, fight there. Yeah. The, the option right now is fight. Yeah. Like I'm not going to go through the list, be like, all right, where can I run? Oh, nowhere. I can hide underneath the car. No, this it's too late. Yep. Um, and, and I, and it was never taught that way, at least that I saw. But for some reason, it just got into people's minds. It's like step one, run. Step two, hide. Step three, fight. Um, and it's it's a fluid thing. Because it logically makes sense. Like, if you can run, run away. If you can't run, then hide. Because it's not as safe as running. But right. it's safer than fighting. And then I guess fighting is like, I don't know. It, in your in your mind, having never gone through it, uh, the fighting is the most dangerous, the least safe, like the last resort kind of thing. Right. I don't know. It, it makes sense how people could, how people have done that. Because I I did that too. Because when we were when I was working at Flight Docs, uh, one guy he used to be in the army, and before we go to these trade shows like in Vegas or Orlando, he would always kind of give us a debriefing, like, "Hey guys." hate to be doing this with you, but like, this is how the world is right now. So in case something happens, run, hide, fight. Like I, so I get how that can be perceived. So what is it moving towards? Um, honestly, I can't remember the, the acronym now, but, um, it, it's similar. Um, R H F. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for some reason, it's very similar to an acronym used in the military, which was detect, deter, delay. Okay. But it's not that. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing because it, you're doing it, it for so, so long. It's so ingrained in me that every time I think of the new one, I, I can't get detect, deter, delay out of my head. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's got a similar so, similar it. concept. Um, okay. It just, instead of making it sound like steps, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's a little bit more preventative. Um, and, and that's a lot of what it's gauged to, towards is, is trying to identify what's going on first uh, before it happens. Um, and then we, we do, especially being in Florida, we do um, talk about, you know, if you're armed, um, like an armed citizen, what, what your duty and responsibility is. Um, what your liabilities are too. <laughs> uh, we don't really touch on that because we're not lawyers. Okay, fair um, enough. But, uh, you know, kind of, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to be the hero, like here's, here's the best way to do it. Okay. Yeah, All right. So, fair enough. Um, and then, yeah. So, uh, so what do you mean? All right. So in that case, let's, let's dive into that. So what do you mean in that case? Um, so one of the trainings we we've went through and I can't remember if it's in the slides that we use when we teach or not, but, um, pretty much it was like, um, you know, if you're armed and you're going to pull your gun out to, to meet the threat head on, it was like, you know, just pull the, the front sight or put the front sight on your target and squeeze the trigger until the target falls. And then it's like, then lower your gun to the target again and keep squeezing until your gun's empty. It was just pretty much like, just lo load them full of lead. Really? And just keep loading them full of lead. Um, and and I, I don't disagree with that concept. Okay. So um, it sounds, it's like jarring to hear, but like, Okay, what's the logic behind it? Um, you you want to stop the threat, and and this okay. is how I trained my wife too. I was like, um, you know, before I deployed, after we were married, 
I got her a gun. Uh, we went to a range um, that I had access to. I measured out from like our front or like our bedroom door to like the front door, which is like the, the furthest distance in our house. And I was like, just put all, all the rounds. And it was only 10 because it was California. I was like, put all the rounds <laughs> into the inner circle of that, you know, human shaped target. And she did. And I was like, yeah, just keep squeezing until it's done. And she asked the same question. I'm like, cause, cause you're not trained any other way. Yeah. I was like, you know, honestly, what's going to happen in that situation is that's, that's what you're going to do anyways, just cause that's how your body's going to react. Cause you're going to tense up. You're going to, you're going to be in that fight or flight. Yeah. You're going to fall back to that and you're just going to be fucking shooting. Yeah. So, and I guess too, on the flip side, it's if you're going to, if you're willing to shoot somebody to kill them anyway, then go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, All right. And, and, and like I said, it's just how you're going to respond anyways, because there's, there, you know, there's reports of, you know, police involved shootings where the cops do the same thing and they're trained otherwise. Yep. But it's just like, you know, if you're in that spot, you yeah. Like when, you're once die. you, once you get there, like all, like, like the stuff that happens to your body is like ridiculous. Like there's audio exclusion, tunnel vision. Um, like I was reading, um, I can't remember what it was. I think it might've been on combat by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, but he was telling a story about this cop. They, they were in a shooting and afterwards they're like, how many rounds did you fire? And he's like, I don't know, like four or five. He had to empty the magazine, like 20 rounds or something like that. He's like, how many partners did your, uh, or how many rounds did your partner fire from a shotgun? And he's like, my partner fired a shotgun and they were right next to each other. He yeah. Didn't, he didn't hear it at all. Which I, which like, dude, one time I fired a shotgun without, uh, earplugs in and my vision went white. Yeah. 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 So to be in, Damn, a, in a situation where you could be right next to your partner and not even yeah, know they he, fired. He a fired shot. like five or six sh shotgun shells and the other cop had no idea just cause that's your body's just like, you're focused in a fire on, fight. Yeah, you're focused on the threat okay. and your your body's pretty much like, like, yeah, you don't have to pay attention to this. You don't need to know about that. It's like your bladder was full. We don't need that anymore. And it's just like, it, you know, yeah, it's go time. So have you ever been in a situation like that? When you No, fortunately I haven't. Cool. Um, uh, I've, I've had to pull my weapon in the line of duty a couple of times, but I've never had to, to engage anyone. And, you know, um, I'm thankful for it because, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think you can come back from something like that sometimes, but, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've been, I've been real close a few times and, and I, I thank, thank God that they, you know, either put the gun or knife down and I can't remember the actual situation. Yeah. Um, no, that's a nice, that's, that I'm glad it shook out that way for you. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Me too. So <laughs> dude, that's, that's part of, that's probably one of the reasons why, like, I think most people have have a, a certain level of respect for like those elite military forces who can be in those situations and like SWAT teams and things like that, who can be in those situations like where you are basically guaranteed to use lethal force and people will be almost guaranteed to be using lethal force back at you. Oh yeah. For and just sure. still keep like a sense of calmness and like a sense of like focus and Although your body is probably still for them pushing the same reactions, like to tamp that down and not let it 
interfere with your skill that you've learned. Like that is an impressive thing. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. And yeah, I have a lot of respect for, for everyone who does that. Cause you know, I've, I've dipped my toe in it and you know, not your thing. Yeah. And well, you know, if I had to, I could have done it, but it, it's just, you know, yeah. kind of, kind of like where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then yeah. you don't have to think about, yeah, dude, some of those, like you do hear some of these stories of these guys talking about, like they, some of these guys are like, had to kill a lot of people. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I don't know. Some people, it seems like it's like water off their back, like, <laughs> like a water off a duck's back. But yeah. some people it just, it sticks with, man. It's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy load to be like, a to have that, I don't know, weight on you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to process that myself. Yeah. No. And, and a lot of it, I think is, um, everything leading up to it. So like, you know, Alan and I have talked about this, um, cause you know, people have asked questions about it too. Like, cause Alan and I both, both carry, mm-hmm. um, and they're like, you know, how do you like justify, you know, carrying a gun and being a Christian? It's like, I was like, cause, Cause I've had that conversation with my creator. So I, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of the bad guys. I know that for sure. Um, cause otherwise, you know, we'd be having a different conversation, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I know that I was just put on this earth to protect people. Yeah. Um, however that may be. So whether that was in my military service or now, you know, doing church safety stuff or, working as better protectors or working as an RN, you know, that I, I was on this, I was put here to, to help protect people. Is that something that you've recently figured out or is that something that you feel like you've had some instinctual level of that for a while, even if you didn't know exactly how to articulate it? Um, I, I think it was, it, it probably was instilled in me um, when I was younger. Like I, I grew up doing karate and, okay. um, my my sensei back then was was very um very adamant about like you only use martial arts to defend yourself or defend others and 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 that just kind of like i think sunk in and um you know like i was in a couple fights as a kid but it was always cuz my i was backed into a corner and and i didn't have any other options and sure. it was always i used just enough force to get out of the situation and then that was it it wasn't you know you know, tackle the dude and get into mount and just start ground and pounding until someone pulled me off him. It was like, you know, like, you know, get off, throw, throw a quick combo. Yeah. And, you know, have a, an escape Avenue and be able to run home and be like, mom, I swear to God, I didn't start this fight. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, e- even in the, in the military, I've been in a couple of scraps. Um, you know, like I said, never had to use my, my firearm in the line of duty, but I've, I've certainly hit people with a baton a few times. And, um, been involved in a few different tasings and stuff like that. So, um, I'm not, not unfamiliar with, with, uh, combative little people, ta- little taste of tasings. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Little, it's always fun. <laughs> little taser flight. Yeah. Um, this is this many volts. This is this many volts. Oh, it's all the same volts. <laughs> Anything, any movie that shows them changing the, the voltage is a lie. It's all, all one. Is it? Yep. 50,000 volts. <laughs> 
50,000 volts just. Yep. It's a good time. Yeah. So you have to get tased. I've right? been tased eight times. Did your body shut down every time or have you? Yeah. So, it, well, it doesn't. So that, that's another thing that the movies show, like, you know, they get tased and they're like, eh, and then they like pass out for like five minutes. I've seen some cops videos where people get tased and they're like, they get more fired up. Yeah. So, um, so the taser works by just like messing up your uh, neuromuscular system. Okay. So if it's working properly, you, you, your, every muscle in your body pretty much flexes. Um, essentially for for as long as the taser is going so like you know you get tased for five seconds and i remember the first time i got tased you know i counted the five probably 30 times because i was just counting so fast but you know like i remember everything and then as soon as it as soon as it clicks off you, it releases and you're done um so this whole like you know tase them in the neck and then you know we have an hour to get them to the safe house that's that's not how that works so what so what is the purpose of it then? Uh, it's so it's um, for a law enforcement purpose, um, or even for a civilian purpose. Um, but law enforcement is to arrest under under power. So like you tase and you have five seconds to get handcuffs on the person. So you're handcuffing them while they're being electrocuted, for lack of better terms. And and that doesn't transfer to another person. Um, so if you get like the tongs, like where they shoot the prongs in, and it's like yeah. So as long as you're you don't touch them in between where the two um, probes hit or you don't grab the wire like I did one time um, <laughs> then, then typically you don't feel anything what was that like uh, so you remember those like fake hand the, the handshake yeah like it kind of felt like that I was wearing gloves so it wasn't like skin on on okay. uh, wire contact and the wires are insulated a little bit but not completely so like it was enough that like I felt it and I was like can't let go of the hand because we finally got it behind his back um, so I was just like, get the cuff on and, you know, shake it off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah, that was interesting. Just fight through the tase. Yeah. Well, it, like I said, it, like for me, it was just like the, like those hand, handshake pranks, like that feeling. Yeah. So it wasn't like my body was locking up or anything. It was just, it sucked. <laughs> it, it just didn't feel good for, for the few seconds that we were <laughs> handcuffing the guy. Um, Damn dude. Yeah. It's nuts. Dude, so going like going back to the the protector thing. Mm -hmm. So like now that you're maybe that it's been instilled and you've been going through this, like how do you, and you're seem well, you seem pretty faithful. Like you are religious, but like uh, think about faith, think about God, talk with God, things like that. Mm -hmm. Like how do do you have any conversations basically? Like, with god about that kind of stuff um yeah like so anytime i'm i'm scheduled to, to serve in a safety role i have a, a whole like like prayer that i pray about it um okay you know like like pretty much you know keep me vigilant and make me um quick to be discernful like you know like don't let my any doubt like be like oh is that guy should i go talk to that guy like like i look suspicious like like just get rid of any of those those feelings and stuff like that. Those little um, hesitations. Yeah, that don't, come up. like don't let any of my hesitations be like the the reason something goes wrong. Um, and then you know I just ask for for him to you know help me because you know I know I have the skills, but I know I do all things through through Christ. So you know you know make sure that I don't forget those skills in the moment, <laughs> kind of thing. And then just you know I, I just pray like for 
for protection in general over the building. Like it just, you know, put up a hedge of protection. Don't, don't let me have to use my skills today. Yep. Cause that's, that's the best day is when I don't have to do anything. Yep. So, um, yeah. So, I, and then, you know, even in my Bible study time, I'll, I'll come across a verse that speaks to it and I'll, I'll you know, yeah, I'll, I'll pray through, you know, like verses like, you know, um, there, there's one verse in Exodus talking about how God is a warrior and, and, you know, like I'll pray through that. Cause I, you know, I was made in his image. So if he is a warrior, that means I'm a warrior too. Right. Yeah. Well, and so when you say pray, do you mean like, what, what is, what does that mean to you? Like, how do you do that? Uh, it, it can be done, you know, different ways. Like sometimes sure. I pray out loud, um, or under my breath, depending on the situation. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll just pray in my head. And then, uh, other times it's just, you know, like if I'm journaling or something like that, sometimes the, the prayer just comes out on paper. Um, it's like a contemplation of what your, what came from either the Bible or what somebody's talked about and like, almost like triangulating it with like your faith, like how you feel about that. Like what message am I getting? Like, does this feel right? Yeah. Is this in tune with God basically? That, that and yeah. And then just, you know, sometimes just, it's just a conversation. Me, me just talking, whatever's on my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I'm processing through something, you know, like, um, at work, we've had a couple deaths. Re well, not recently, but like in the last year, we had a couple deaths that I had to process through. Cause you know, I'm pounding on the guy's chest for an hour waiting for EMS to get there. And, um, you know, you know, it's like, you know, the last, last person to try to save this dude's life. And so, yeah, you, you got to process through some of that stuff. And so sometimes it's just me having a conversation and just, you know, verbally puking. Yeah. Um, and, and that way, you know, that doesn't all come out on my wife and kids necessarily. They, they get the filter, they get the filter puke. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I know what you mean. Like I, I, uh, I try to do, I try to do that kind of stuff like i try i write as much as possible the podcast definitely helps just to get thoughts and ideas out and stuff like that yeah but for sure that's i i view it very similarly because when i write and I, when i get these thoughts out or for me when i play music and stuff like that that's my that's my way of getting back to a place of center mm -hmm. and feeling like more in tune with god with the universe like with it in its entirety and like those things, when I can kind of get my head clear, it doesn't even have to be like, I don't need to write something specific and make sure that I do this thing and all, all like all these specific things. But if I just get shit out of my head and like get those feelings out, like then I could start to process them. And then it makes me more clear, more even, more level set for when I go into yeah, like my relationships, being with my family, being at work, I can focus on things better. When I don't do that stuff, I'm like, I don't know, I get lost. Yeah, you know, no, for sure. No, I, I I write quite a bit too. Just like I remember, um, uh, in between getting out of the military and starting like EMT school, I drove for a um, like a private airport shuttle, well, not shuttle. We drove like town cars. Okay, um, and we didn't just do airport runs either. So. Like private car service, I guess. Okay. Um, and like, I can't tell you how many, so, you know, like the little slips of paper you get for like visiting a neighborhood. Yeah. Like the little passes or whatever. I can't tell you how many passes I have just with notes written on the back of them. Really? I'll be sitting at, you know, at, 
at the airport or like outside the restaurant while my customer's eating dinner or something and something will come to mind and that's all I have to write on. So I'll just grab a pen and, you know, just start scribbling stuff down. And, you know, sometimes I go back and reread it or sometimes it was just, I needed to get it out and yep. I, I'd never see that piece of paper again, but I'd never have to process through whatever I had to write again. So exactly. Yeah, for sure. And then like, over time, like you start, because you get it out, you start to see these trends and you start to see like, Oh, I keep thinking about this. I keep, this pattern keeps coming back. Like this is a return sure, yeah. thing. It gives me a place to look at and be like, all right, that's where I need to focus. That's where I need to, uh, put some effort and put some energy towards solving or getting my thoughts right around them or like, am I being a little bitch around this? Like, or am I, you know, is there something more here that I can do? I don't know. I don't even, I don't go back and read that stuff very frequently. It's not something that I'm like, I catalog perfectly. Right. But, you know, after you write something every day for 30 days, you kind of like, can pick up that you've been writing that same yeah. thing over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know, dude, it's, uh, yeah, this is, I've been, I've been trying to, one of the things that I have not done well, cause I, I was very cynical about religion and all that stuff. And, uh, I think I missed the concept of faith. Like I, I didn't understand it for a long time. Right. And like faith in, yourself and self-love and then faith that if you put things out there in the world and you actually move towards them and you do the best that you can and all that, like things start coming together and helping you and guiding you on the path of like where you want to go. I was always, that's the self-doubt stuff that pops in. Like that always was what ran like my mental programming all the time right and it's been like recently that 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 shift has started to take place yeah well that's that's good yeah 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 it's i don't know because because self-doubt is never a fun thing no dude it fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure but it's i'm glad i went through that because now i know i like i get to see it in other people that go through that same thing and i'm like oh hey like, and now I can talk, it's like usually younger people too. Like I can talk to them and be like, Hey, like all these things that you're saying are problems or excuses. I'm like, you're just making a lot of this up unless like, you know, somebody's got a real problem. Like I'm right. not talking about that, but I can look at somebody who's like making things up and like, Hey, you probably feel this way and this way and this way. And it's because of this, this, and this, like, am I, am I right? And like, yeah, how did you know that? I'm like, yeah, because I already did that. And yeah. it's like a waste of time. Like I could save you five years if you just <laughs> stop doing that. Like, yeah, you you can avoid doing that. I did it for 15 years. If you just instead only do it for 10, like you're already five years ahead of the game, dude. Yeah. They're like, sure. okay. Easier said than done. But having that, like the things that you do wrong for a long time sometimes can be like the most helpful oh, for absolutely, you know, teaching somebody and I don't know, getting them like it's it's my way of sharing a little bit about the reality of the universe with somebody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I like stuff like that. But that prayer thing is interesting because uh, there's a book called The War of Art. Okay. And, uh, so the guy talks about before he sits down, he's a writer. He put together this book that explains like there's like forces that help you forces that are against you that prevent you from writing, doing all that stuff. But, uh, 
yeah, he sits down and does like this prayer to the muses before he starts writing, like, like give me the ability to essentially give me the ability to have a clear mind to like follow where you guys are taking me with the story. Like I'm going to be here writing and like marshal those forces. It's pretty, it's funny how it, when you were saying that, that's what it reminded me of. Like, Hey, when I go in, like, give me the strength to remember my training, to not freeze up, to not have that bit of self doubt. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a similar, like you're kind of releasing yourself to uh, a higher power, but you're not like giving it away. Like, Oh, I'll be fine. No matter what. It's just like, all right, I'm putting a level of trust in you and I'm going to do my part. Well, yeah, because I, I think a common misconception with like prayer, regardless of what you pray to, um, is that, you know, like, like I'm going to pray and, and, and I'll wait for the answer. Yeah. Um, there's a, this, uh, pastor Mark Batterson, he's up in DC and he's got this quote and I'm probably going to butcher it, but he says, uh, you know, you should pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on you. Yeah. And like, like I, I always kind of knew that in the back of my head, but when I heard him say it, I was just like, yeah, that's good. Like nailed it. And and it's funny. Cause like, you know, we had friends down from Rhode Island a few years ago and, and, um, her husband was out of work or something like that. And she's like, yeah, you know, he's just, he's just believing that God's going to give him a job. And I was like, yeah, is he putting out resumes? Cause that's probably the best way to get, get a job. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like, yeah, you can pray for the job, but if you're not, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that God can't, you know, divinely intervention you into your job, but, you know, like if you're not putting out the work, then, you know, yeah, like you, you got to do something down here too. Yeah. It's not this blind faith and it's, you, you do have to put that effort in and I'm, I'm realizing that with a bunch of stuff and, uh, I don't know, just trying to take things to the next level. Like I realize in very, in many aspects of my life, I'm a blue belt right now. <laughs> like almost in in so many things and i kind of have this like blue belt mentality with stuff and yeah. i realize like oh okay if i want to get to the places i want to be i do have to like adopt a black belt mentality yeah and they're like when you look at them there's never any situations when you're rolling where they're like oh man that was really hard or like i didn't really feel that good today it's like oh man i'm getting old and yeah. I can't get smoked by these young kids anymore who are like muscling everything. I literally need to fundamentally change how I do things. So that way sure. I yeah. can get ahead. And I'm realizing that now, like in music, in work, in jujitsu, in like all these things, I've, I'm kind of hitting that blue belt ceiling where you're like, you're competent at things, you're proficient, but there's always like that that level of like, well, I don't know if I'm really ready to go to the next level. And like, yeah, you don't fully commit to the move. You don't fully like trust yourself to go do this thing. And so I, I kind of had that realization a couple months ago. I'm like, all right, I'm going to fuck that dude. I'm like, I'm moving I'm moving everything forward. Yeah. And I got to think as if I'm already at that next level. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like in the last couple of months, I've felt that change from you in jujitsu, even like, 
Really? Like I was talking to someone the other night and because, you know, uh, professors coming down and they're like, oh, who, who do you think's up for promotions? I'm like, I'm like, man, if Chris isn't close to his purple belt, I don't know who is. Like, I don't think I'm at the purple belt zone. I, I don't know. I, but like I said, I, I feel in the last couple months, like something's, something in your game has changed. And it might be just that mentality. Like I need to step it up and start rolling like a purple belt. Yeah. Because um, that's what I want to be. It, but like I, I remember having the conversation because we were talking about people, you know, who are who are getting ready for promotions. I'm like, man, it like I feel like rolling with Chris is like rolling with a purple belt. Sweet. So that and but All you right, know, cool. I, I'm just I'm just a new blue belt too. So what does my opinion really matter? You're not a new blue belt. How long have you had your blue belt? I, I got it in April. Really? Yeah, I just got it. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were a blue belt for a while. No, just just it, just in April. Dude, it has been a big change because I was going, I was showing up and I was being a little bitch for a while. Like, I don't know what I was doing, but I was, I don't know. I'm really tired today and like things like that. It's just like, nah, let me just focus on like what I need to do. I'm going to pay attention. I'm like, get in the zone and just move around where I need to. Let me pay attention like a little more to the details when coach is teaching stuff. And like, yeah, it's just had a huge, huge change i don't know the details it, it's it's been a mindset shift it's yeah it's been the biggest thing like i don't know just trying to have like a little bit more faith in myself not doubt it so much so that way when i roll against some of these blue belts that are now yeah. in there that are legitimately twice as strong as me yeah like we've got some beastly blue belts at the God, gym man that i don't have to like try to avoid that i'm like all right let me go roll with that person like let me go let me go into it and what's going to happen will happen but like all right i'm going to be present i'm not going to let you somebody like take my back or let me let somebody just like i'll go on the bottom and get steamrolled like no dude it's the time's up for that i did that for way too long now i'm just like all right moving ahead yeah no, I, I think I need to, to probably focus on that a little bit more because, um, yeah, because, well, it, it was like I felt like I, for so long I was getting smashed. So I got really good at playing from my back. Uh-huh. Same. And then even when I was rolling with, you know, guys that were under me, you know, rank wise, I, I would like pull guard and stuff. And and then you end up getting smashed by people that really are not better than you, but you have like let them be better than you yeah that time and that's that that happened a couple times where i was like why why did like why did that like 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 why did i let that guy get on top (laughs) yeah i was like the only reason he he smashed me is because he's bigger than me and i couldn't move his body like he was just laying on me but then but then really it's like the only reason he smashed me is because i let him exactly it's like that that was just like self-punishment like why did i do that in the first place um, and, so, and, and when you let somebody like kind of smash you too, you end up using so much more energy yeah. in the, in that whole span than if you just like got out ahead of it. Yeah. Well, I've, I've definitely learned how to energy, like conserve my energy when I'm under someone and it was from rolling with Andrew a bunch. Um, I don't, yeah, he'll teach you. <laughs> it's like, cause it'll start good. I'll be on top and then he'll flip the switch and, and then I'll be, and then I'm like, all right, well, well, I can't move I'll, for the I'll, next three I'll and a half. I'll protect my neck and I'll get a frame <laughs> and I'll wait for him to get bored and move. And, you and know, let's I, hope that approach, I'll works. just live there until I, and you know, like not, not to, 
use this like you know forsaken word in jujitsu, but I'll I'll just like make little micro adjustments and keep trying to you know get my frame a little bit better and get get a little bit more space. And then there's been a couple times I've gotten out, and most of the time he just continues to smash me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and you know there's there's very a couple familiar, guys like that. Very familiar with the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He's a beast, um, man. But well, dude, thanks for coming and doing this. I yeah, this was fun. It. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, I don't. I don't think so, man. Where can people find you and like actually sign up for Better Protectors? Yeah, so you can go to our website, it's just uh, betterprotectors.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and just I think it's David Parkinson. I, I, I don't. How do you search for people on LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll but I'm the LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I'm kind of more active because I can do that at work. All the other social media pages are locked down, so I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Uh, but yeah, Better Protectors is on Instagram, Facebook, our website. Um, yeah. So if you're in Southwest Florida and you're looking for some sort of training, we also do a ton of firearms training. We're both firearms instructors, so if you're looking for any of that, we can do it. Sweet. All right. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Cool.